Father, we thank you for the world that you made. Thank you for the wonderful creation. Thank you that you are big. Uh, and even just the scale of things uh, shows that there must be an all-powerful, a huge and mighty creator. And Lord, we thank you that you have also revealed yourself as a saviour, as the one who came and died um, in your son uh, for our sins. Thank you that now it's through your hands. Uh, please help us to know you rightly and uh, to live in light of who you are. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got a question to start us off. Do we, do you and I, live in a well-run world? Do we live in a well-run world? It's quite hard to say, actually. (laughs) That is, do, generally speaking, is it well-run? By that I mean, does it usually happen that if you live badly, that there's consequences (laughs) um, to living badly? And, And what I mean by that is it, when you do try to live rightly, is there sort of blessings or, or things that come, consequences that come from that? Good things? Well, I think generally we'd have to say yes, wouldn't we? Um, for example, I've got some people here, a criminal, person who, who breaks the law on a regular basis, and I'm not just talking about going a little bit over the speed limit, although they will catch you for that. Um, you know, uh, but I'm talking about you know, okay, criminal activity. That person is more likely, aren't, are they not, to end up dead, in prison, you know, or I don't know what the third one is. Okay, what about um, the family where the mum and dad stay faithful to each other in marriage? What, what might the consequences of that be? Well, it might be, it would be, wouldn't it? That the children are blessed. They have a, a good upbringing. Um, there is good that comes from that. So I think generally speaking, we'd have to say, wouldn't we, that we live in a, a well-run world. Things seem to go the way they should go. That the way people live affects what happens to them. And so generally speaking, we live in a well-run world, don't we? Or we think that's the case. Um, As we head into this book, we find that this man, Job, um, who is the character of the book... Um, That's his experience. Um, So look down with me at verse 1. And Verona's going to come and read from verse 1 to verse 6. Job chapter 1, verse 1 to 6. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. What we expect to find um, when we hear of a man who tried to live rightly with others and tried to live uh, in right relationship with God or or was in a right relationship with God and therefore uh, lived rightly. We'd expect to find, wouldn't we, a, a happy, contented life, an enjoyable, abundant life. That's 
kind of going back to the thing we said at the start, you know, that, what, that there are good consequences for doing good things and bad consequences for doing bad things, yeah. And well, we have got that in verses 1 to 5 um, of this chapter. Um, so Job is uh, described as being blameless. Um, he fears God. That's another way um, it puts it. Blameless doesn't mean sinless, by the way. We can see that because Job, what does it say in verse 1? Uh, one who feared God and turned away from evil. He turns away from evil. The, the result of him fearing God rightly, knowing God rightly as he is, was that he turned away from evil. He would not need to do that if he was sinless, if he was unable to sin. Turning away from evil suggests that you've got to turn from it. <laughs> um, so Job is, is blameless, um, but he's not sinless. It's not the same thing. Um, we can see that his repentance or his turning away from evil relies on a sacrifice as well. So if you look down with me um, at verse 5, when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate his children, this is, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So fearing God, knowing rightly who God is, results in a turning away from evil. But he knows, doesn't he, that that requires a sacrifice for him. It's not going to be that he can be good enough for God and that even his repentance is enough. He knows there's got to be a sacrifice for sin. And this is Old Testament stuff, so this is the foreshadowing of the, the great sacrifice of Jesus' blood on the cross. That would be the one way that he could be right with God. So Job, if you like, is a Christian. <laughs> He's like you and me. He's someone who, um, when we come to know God rightly, have turned away from our sinful lives and gone to him for the sacrifice that we need to save us, the mercy that we need. Job is seeking to live rightly by God and by others and he experiences some of the blessings or some of the good things as a result of that life. Good relationships with other people. Sounds like his family wants to spend time together. <laughs> you know, they all want to hang out together. Um, such that they're having these parties and stuff. And yet, and this is the real surprise, what we're going to see in the book of Job is immense Suffering, terrible suffering, sudden and awful, agonising suffering. Okay, and um, <laughs> this is our world, is it not? Um, we talked about it being well run. The presence of suffering. I reckon if we were to go around this room and just you know go through, allow each person to say some of the things that are tragic things that have happened in their life or to the people that they know in their family things that have happened, we'd be here a very long time. And suffering is something that comes to us all, does it not? And the real anguish of suffering is that question of, well, what is going on? Where, where is God? What's he doing in this? In this? Is, is he really in control? Is evil sort of the, the thing that is winning at the moment? And, and why is this happening to me? All of these questions. Just last week, a building collapsed in China, killing 51 people. 
Some people survived. Suffering is all around us. And it doesn't fit with our expectations of a well-run world, does it? It just doesn't seem to fit. It seems so random. And I think as we go into the book of Job, we're going to see that the deeper anguish of suffering is, yes, the awful loss that we feel, the person, the loved one that we grieve, but it's also a deeper anguish, a hopelessness. And that hopelessness is, is that everything's out of control. There's chaos. You know, like, is God for me in this? Is he, is he even here? All of those questions come to the fore. And the book of Job deals with that. As in, Job himself, we're going to hear a lot from Job, and we're going to hear him voice some of those questions. Um, so if you're the kind of person that, I know we don't, you know, we'd, we'd rather talk about happy stuff, but this, we actually do need to talk about how we feel when we suffer. And this will give us the opportunity to do that. Um, question is, when we suffer, when the world doesn't seem like it's going the way we expect, is it that God has changed? By that I mean um, the yin, you've seen the yin yang, yang thing. Um, is it that God is sort of both good and evil and equally so and uh, there's sort of this merging of the two, that's why you get the red, the black spot in the white bit and the white spot in the black bit. You know, that that is God. He's just sort of arbitrarily kind of handing out good or evil and you just don't know which bit you're going to get. Star Wars, for example, which we all love. We love the movie Star Wars, yeah? Who's done a Star Wars marathon? Oh, not many people volunteering for that. You have? How long did it take? Yeah. So the worldview of Star Wars is really interesting because it says uh, it's this battle, isn't it? Constantly raging between good and evil. And they're equally powerful. Do we live in a world where good and evil are equally powerful? And so at any given point in history, it's a bit like the football match. You don't know if, if evil is going to be one, one goal behind or good is going to be one goal behind. You know, It might even out in the end, but like, you just don't know what you're going to get. It feels like that, doesn't it, when we suffer? Is God really on the throne? <laughs> in his world because it doesn't feel like it and you guess what it didn't feel like it to Job and we're going to see what happens to him we, we actually are just going to stop short of what happens to him this week but we're going to see what happens to him next week um, in, the, in verses 13 onwards um, but we've got verses 6 uh, to 12 to come so Verona could you come and read that for us And this is the conversation that we, the readers, interestingly not Job, we get to see what is going on in the heavenly court and the conversation that is happening there. So let's let's read that now, verses 6 to 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan. And Satan also came along among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, 
Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hands. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. When suffering comes, we're asking that question. It feels like evil and good are almost comparative. Same strength. And it feels like evil actually is prevailing, doesn't it? That's what suffering makes us think. And this is the behind the curtain that we get to see in Job's life we actually get a peek into the very heavenlies, the the heavenly of heavenlies. And we get to see God and what he is like and and the way that he conducts things. Which is a pretty privileged thing to be able to see, isn't it? Particularly Job doesn't get to see that throughout the whole of this letter until the very end, the whole of this book. And what we get to see there is Not any of those things that we saw the Star Wars where good and evil were equal, (laughs) equally powerful, is it? It's not that dynamic we see. We see the dynamic that Satan answers to the Lord, God. That's surprising, isn't it? Well, it's not if you know who God is, but Satan answers to the Lord God. You can't miss that, can you, in this section? Because there's so many things that point to it. Um, Satan... At the very start, in verse 6, has to come and present himself (laughs) to the Lord. Like calling him in. Satan! Come in. He has to come and present himself to the Lord. And it's the Lord who questions Satan in verses 7 and 8, isn't it? Where have you come? He has to answer. What have you been doing there? Even the Lord who has to, who brings Job to Satan's attention. So who's who's the one in control here? God. He the chain of command is obvious, isn't it? Satan answers to the Lord God. And though we might may be shocked at the permission that the Lord God gives, he has to give permission to Satan. And he also sets the, the limits of that permission as well, doesn't he? What does he say? He says um, in verse 12, Behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So not only does the Lord God give the permission, but he sets limits on that permission. And so the picture we get here is, not, is a dynamic in our, in our world where Satan has some influence, is allowed to roam and do some things, but only what the Lord allows him to do. So it gives us a real perspective, doesn't it, that we otherwise wouldn't have, and we will need when we suffer. 
And what's Satan doing here? Well, we just read about it. Satan tries to explain Job's, he tries to explain away Job's fear of God. So it would seem that Job's fear of God is so threatening to Satan that it threatens to the core of his being in such a way that, that Satan has to explain it away. It actually is Job's faith that becomes the battleground. That's a surprising thought, isn't it? That the faith of the ordinary Christian is a threat to Satan. And that it becomes the battleground. Well, Satan asked, doesn't he, in verse 9, uh, Does Job fear you for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions of increasing land. In other words, Satan's saying, of course he's going to follow you. Of course he's going to fear you. You've done so much for him. He's got, got everything. That's, you know, he's explaining it away, isn't he? He's saying, that's why he fears you. That's why he serves you. That's why he has turned from evil and he trusts in you and he's repented. And of course, that's easy enough to prove, isn't it? Satan says, take it away. Take it all from him and he will curse you to your face. This is important because it sets up the whole of the book. And the big question is, will Job curse God? Will Job, the one who has put his trust in the Lord, when everything gets taken away from him, will that cause him to lose trust in the Lord? To curse God to his face? That is going to be the big question we're going to answer as we go through. And almost the fact that we've got so, so much of the book of Job is there to help us to see what is actually a permitted way to bring our grief to God. We can, we can speak to him about the things, how we feel, and yet Job is not charged with any wrongdoing in that. Right at the very end of the book, you're going to see that God says um, that Job did not speak wrongly of him, of the Lord. And even in the next chapter, we're going to hear um, in all these things, verse, um, the end of verse 10, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So what we have just been shown in verses 6 to 12, uh, Job knows nothing of. It's just like us, isn't it, in the world. We don't see what God is doing in the heavenlies and we don't see this um, this dy- dynamic at play. It won't be until much later when the Lord speaks to Job. He does answer Job. But Job has, is, is asking for him and wants to hear from him. And yet it takes a long time before he gets an answer. He will answer him in chapter 28. And there's a suggestion there to, to Job himself about what we know here. If, if Job curses God, Satan was right, wasn't he? But if he doesn't, God is right. If Job curses God, God is dishonoured. His glory, he's saked his glory on the faith of this man holding up. And, it, and, and if Job doesn't curse God, then God is honoured and glorified. So it's an amazing thing, isn't it? Considering what is going to happen. 
We're not meant to see what we've just seen in this chapter as a, um, a sort of shortcut to the end of the book. Oh, because we know what's happened. Because we understand what's causes suffering. Uh, we don't need to even think about suffering or Job's suffering. Um, no, we're not meant to do that because there's a lot more of the book of Job to go and we're going to hear from Job himself. And the reason for that is we're meant to engage with the experience of suffering. What it actually feels like when you don't know what God is doing. And I was, I was saying in a moment about how I think that's going to help us, uh, comfort us as Christians and grow us in our relationship with God. Between here and there, there um, Job's going to go through some pretty dark moments, perhaps some that you would relate to yourself. It's not a shortcut to know this. Um, It is actually just a roadmap so that we might go through the book with these two perspectives. Perspective we have on what was happening in Job's life and also Job's perspective because they're completely different. He doesn't know what's going on. So we are going to have to hold those two things together. Um, I said he's going to go through some pretty dark moments. Um, he's going to go through dark moments in the silence when he's asking God what, what is going on here. As he wrestles with the grief of, grief of losing everything. And then he's going to have some dark moments in the noise as well as some of his friends or so-called friends are going to bring false allegations against him. They're going to say, Job, you know why this is happening to you, don't you? It's because you sinned. Can you imagine? Not just the injury he's felt, but the insult that they've added to it, the damage, the harm they caused to him by saying that he's guilty. Grief and guilt. (laughs) False guilt. They're putting that on him. Uh, so we're going to go through all of that together um, as we get into the chapters uh, from verse chapter 3 really onwards. We're going to hear Job's response first um, and then we're going to hear some of his friends and what they think about what's happening to him. Um, but if, if we hold both Job's perspective in this, he doesn't know. He hasn't seen what we've seen and we hold our perspective Of what Satan is being allowed to do. And the question of the test really. Not for Job. But for Satan. Job. Is he going to curse God or not? And what it will do uh, to God's honour. And what it will do to Satan's defeat. um, If we see this man's faith. Bearing up. Holding up. If he can be proven that his fear of God is just. Because he's getting something out of the relationship. Or because. Um, he does actually know God. Um, I, th- I think it will bring us much comfort. Um, and I, I thought I'd share that with you in just a moment. But before I do that, I'm going to share what I think, um, if you're not a Christian, uh, you would get from this. We've seen, haven't we, that this passage tells us that there is a God in this world over everything. Not only does he create, did he create it, but he rules it. He's in charge of everything, and he's in charge of you and me. But there is also an enemy, isn't there? Someone who would prefer us to curse God. That's what Satan's main influence is in this world, and his main mission statement 
is to get us <laughs> to curse God and die. And so if you're not a Christian, uh, just raise that as something for you to think about. Because um, just ask yourself the question, am I more under his influence than I realise? Because he blinds people to say, curse God, don't have anything to do with him. You know, reject him, turn away from him, say what you like about him, but don't, don't listen to him. And um, let me just turn off. Um, perhaps it is that you're more under his influence than you realise. And it's God himself who can subdue him, Satan. So if you are under his influence, the only one you need is God himself, who can ultimately defeat him. And as Job knew, we saw, the answer is to turn to God from evil, to repent, to see that you need a sacrifice for your sin. You need the Lord Jesus Christ to lay down his life for you. That is the only way you can be right with God. That would be the start for you. It would be great if uh, from this chapter you go away and think about that. Satan is real, but he is restrained in this world. And all those who follow him will be cast down as he is. They will face God's judgment. But turn to the living God, the one who can uh, save you from, from that. And maybe you'd call yourself a true believer uh, because you do certain practices from time to time. Maybe you go to church um, and that's what you think it means to know God. You do the certain religious things and that makes you in relationship with God. Um, rejecting that kind of idea of needing a saviour or repentance or needing a sacrifice for your sin. You just think, well, I do, I do what I need. I make myself right with God. And yet the question is, where is repentance? <laughs> because for all true believers, as we've seen here, to fear God means to turn from evil. And if you don't have the fruit of repentance... That you can't honestly say when you look at your life, there's things that I did against God before that I'm not, not doing anymore. If you honestly have to say, well, it, it looks like it's just the same, it's continued on, then maybe it is that God hasn't worked that. You don't know the living God. You don't fear him rightly. Because the fear of God leads to repentance. And so... If that's you, it's great, isn't it, that God gets, shows us that that's our hearts. I don't think I'm fearing God. Because actually, I would expect to see, more, uh, I'd expect to see some signs of repentance in my life. Uh, the, the sign of a real relationship with him is becoming more like his son. Um, but I did say, didn't I, that um, if you're a Christian, uh, this book will be of great comfort to you uh, but there will also be a troubling side to it won't there because we are dealing with immense suffering we can't just say oh we're not gonna we're just gonna ignore the fact that it's really troubling <laughs> because because god's in charge you know we're not even going to emotionally engage with the fact that job loses everything and he's just in anguish he's suffering he's questioning he's confused it is going to be troubling but it is going to be comforting. And I thought of a few ways this is going to be comforting uh, to, to go through. Job's experience should bring us great comfort if you're a Christian. Because as we enter into Job's questioning and his grief, 
we find incredible comfort to learn that there is a just way to bring our grief to God. We, we think, don't we, that God sort of, we need to filter what we say and we need to say only positive things in our relationship with God in prayer. That we're not really allowed to be real or say hard things or, or just speak how we're feeling. And yet this book would say complete opposite. It would say, in your relationship with God, tell him, speak to him. Tell him how you're feeling. And that's what, exactly what Job does. He is honest in his grief, but he's, he directs that towards God. Um, so I think that's going to be a great comfort to see that we, the way in which we can as well do that. And um, through all of the different things we're facing, we can just go to God and speak to him. That that's not wrong to do so. And um, he's not going to say, you shouldn't ask that. <laughs> he's not going to shut us up. Uh, it would be a great comfort as well um, to see that Job's repentant faith endures. It's indestructible. Because if his faith is our faith too, then that means our faith will endure even the darkest of days. One of the fears for a Christian, isn't it, that you know that perhaps some suffering will happen that will make me turn from God. Perhaps something that would happen that would just be too much for me, and then I would walk away. And yet this is wonderfully reassuring to know that normal Christian faith will hold up. It's indestructible. We're going to sing in a moment, though hell or uh, though what's it say? Though hell. The soul, though all hell should endeavour to shake, the Lord will never forsake. The soul, though all hell should endeavour to shake, the Lord will never forsake. And that's a wonderful comfort. And we'll see that as we go through Job. Um, and yet above all these comforts, we can find, even find joy and purpose in our suffering, knowing that our righteous suffering as Christians is serving to confound Satan. It's the, it's the spanner in his works. It's the bee in his body. He's, he's just frustrated by the fact that Christians will endure suffering and yet still praise the Lord. Come out the other side of it praising the Lord. Um, it's serving to confound Satan and also to put God's glory on display. In the heavenly realms, in eternity, he's going to bring God glory to, for us to... Uh, in, in that we suffer, even though we're not suffering because of our sin, but we're suffering as children of God in a world that is broken. And yet yeah, we still give him glory for that. Um, so I think this is a really helpful book. Commend it to you. Um, I would do what George says and read the first two chapters um, when you get home. And also read the last four chapters. That's not really a spoiler. I've given you some of it already. Um, but it is helpful just to get a, an idea of what happens uh, from start and finish. And when we delve into the middle bit, which is a bit more difficult to work out what's going on, uh, make it a bit easier for us to understand. And um, Why don't I pray? And then um, we'll hand back to George. Let's pray. Father God, uh, thank you. We praise you that you rule and reign that this world though 
we feel like it's in chaos and it's so confusing for us at times. Actually, you are still God and you're still still in charge. And we do uh, thank you for this word this morning, uh, this afternoon. Thank you that you can bring comfort to us. And thank you that you are good. We can trust that you are good. And we do pray uh, for ourselves as we look into this book further that um, we know we're going to be troubled by some of the things we read. And yet we pray that we bring those troubles to you, um, knowing that even if you don't give us all the answers, that you, you want us to speak to you about these things. And that it will help us to do so. Uh, we pray that it will bring comfort to us as we see that Satan's uh, most clever attempts at getting us off track just don't even work. Uh, we pray that uh, we would uh, be encouraged to keep going, uh, to keep trusting you, even though uh, we face hardship. Uh, we pray for each other as well. We pray that we would be good comfort to one another in reading this together. And that where there's things that come up, um, situations in our lives, that we would uh, be able to counsel each other in a way that is good and, and true. And uh, we know that we can bring uh, such unhelpful things um, in what we say when we just try to gloss over things. Or we don't really acknowledge the pain people are going through. Uh, so we pray you teach us in that way as well. And we pray that it would bring you glory to, um, in the end, uh, that our lives would bring you glory. Uh, because you have saved us and brought us into your family. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.